Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. And welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I'm your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features interviews and stories about and related to music. Today on the program, we feature CJ, the new owner and proprietor of Winter's Tavern. Their tagline on their website says, No, it's all about the music. And they're bringing back the old school tavern feel. Lots of great draft beers, most of which are from the local area, California and Oregon. Uh, Plenty of original distilled spirits as well. And tons of live music, traveling bands, and lots of local independent acts. Where you're going to find a lot of great original live music. We talked to CJ about his origins in the restauranteur and bar business. He's traveled all over the United States working in different establishments, and now he brings all these skills to Winter's Tavern. So we talked to CJ about his history, his love of music, and how he's integrating the two now at Winter's Tavern. So sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Life Radio, this one entitled Winter's Tavern featuring CJ. So let's uh, do a proper introduction. I am here with CJ, proprietor owner of Winter's Tavern in beautiful Pacifica, California. Welcome to Music Live Radio, CJ. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you inviting me much. down to the uh, green. This is a green room, right, at Winter's Tavern. This is the green room. So any of you guys listening to this, bands come here and play. Uh, you'll be able to get a picture of this in your mind. Let's jump back to. Uh, I want to get into some history before we talk more about Winter's Tavern. Uh, where did you grow up, and what kind of influences, specifically like music-related, did you have growing up? Well, I was born on the East Coast. Luckily, uh, my parents separated when I was young, and my wonderful stepdad, who just passed, Ron Ruth, uh, scooped us out of Florida and brought us to Hawaii. Oh, wow. So I spent my adolescence uh, between... Hawaii and Colorado, where I moved when I was 10 years old. So I I grew up in Colorado. Okay. I was there from age 10 until I left the nest and went to college. I stayed in Colorado, northern Colorado, and uh, then kind of went from there. But uh, I basically grew up in Colorado. And uh, the scene in Colorado is not what uh, everyone would think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the 80s. I'm 42 years old. So I was a teenager in the 80s, and um, you know, despite being uh, the homophobic, uh, <laughs> you know, tough uh, Colorado Springs, you know, yeah. Christian military <laughs> craziness, uh-huh. we made the best of it, yeah. and uh, we got in our fair share of trouble and found 
uh, you know, the cool stuff, obviously, including music. I was lucky enough to where my parents were always uh, into music, more so my mother than my father. But even my father enjoyed uh, R&B and uh, old Motown type stuff. He was more of a businessman mm-hmm. uh, and really wasn't like a huge music guy, but he had rhythm and loved to dance. And when he heard a good tune with some soul to it, he would get down. Oh, and so great. I just always <laughs> remember that, you know, like, wow, my dad's like all business. But, you know, if it was, it was, if it was part of the scene, if we were at the restaurant, you know, and there was a band playing and people were having fun, you know, he would loosen his collar and he'd be out there, you know, juking, as my <laughs> grandfather would say, uh, having just as much fun as everybody else, you know, cutting yeah. loose. So I've always been around music. Um, I grew up in a restaurant and bar. Uh, my parents were restaurateurs from ah. way back in the 30s, a little Italian mom and pop spot yeah. um, up through the 80s. And that was in Florida. So, you know, every summer I got the benefit of being in Miami in the restaurant for two months out of every year, you know, up through my teens and then whisked back to wonderful Colorado where I, you know, spent the rest of my year with my mother who uh, loves music and Mm. always had, uh, you know, some old school stuff going on, you know, growing up. Uh, you know, it was not uncommon to be uh, in the house with the Beatles playing or even uh, Led Zeppelin. You know, she was kind of all over the place, you know, the mamas and the papas mm-hmm. and uh, even uh, Sonny and Cher. And, you know, she did enjoy the rock, which was awesome. Um, yeah. But she also kind of liked the the happier, hippier type stuff, too. So I kind of got a good mix uh, of music growing up. My uncles were all nuts and all music guys, musicians, uh, entertainers. So, uh, you know, they were always playing, you know, the really cool old school shit, you know, just weird old, you know, jazz and really cool stuff like uh, early, early John Prine. And, oh, great. And, uh, you know, just cool singer songwriter stuff that makes you think and gets you in the in the groove and even you know and i hate to even say this jimmy buffett Mm -hmm. the early albums you know i mean it is what it is but there's a there's a part of me that when i was a boy and being at a margarita party you know in florida and everybody just having fun it was long before it was decades of of hits that you hear a billion times. It was <laughs> it was the record being spun and the margarita machine, the blender spinning, and we're at the pool and everyone's in the sun and it's big hats. Well, and that was sunglasses the lifestyle those people were living now. Yeah, just the music, yeah. It was killer, yeah. you know. Yeah. It was long before it was it mm. was killed, <laughs> you know, and made fun of. Yeah. It was just kind of a happy party atmosphere. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that people didn't like to, you know, listen to rainbow and rock their fucking minds out <laughs> yeah, yeah but you know it was just like it was kind of music appropriate type of situations back then everyone wasn't exposed to as much music as we are today and you kind of pick and choose you know if you're going to have a cocktail party 
you're probably not going to play, you know, early priest, <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, it was there and yeah. people were listening to it and it was fucking mind bogglingly badass, mm -hmm. but you know, it's just not going to, it doesn't jive, <laughs> you know, yeah, you got to make some match with the occasion. <laughs> so this is really interesting. Your parents were in the restaurant business into into music and that's where we find you today basically you know proprietor of the winter's tavern and uh and really into music and supporting the live music scene that's amazing so after college what did you do and uh what at that point like high school college what kinds of music were you listening to other than your early influences would you just describe well here's the thing i've always been kind of uh go against the grain type of person i've always pushed the envelope i'm a hardcore scorpio i was born on halloween oh, so wow. i've always <laughs> kind of been out there and as much as that early music influenced me i wanted to go against what my parents were listening to so you can rewind to 1987 and see uh you know a boy with a mullet yeah. in the middle of colorado springs listening to nwa yeah, yeah, yeah you know drinking 40s of old english <laughs> you know thinking that i was the baddest motherfucker on the planet yeah. <laughs> i know nothing about do you have any pictures <laughs> at this point yeah, yeah except yeah. Okay. for what i hear in the record i've never yeah. actually been to california except for in and out of the airport traveling all those years from sure, hawaii yeah. lax was a home to me but beyond that uh, I knew nothing of California, mm. but this sound was so powerful, and my buddies and I were all into it. We'd listen to this stuff and drink the beer and <laughs> talk the talk and walk the walk and, you know, bitch this and fuck that. And I mean, it was just cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, at the same time, it was all that mainstream kind of explosion. Yeah. Uh, finding me listening to, uh, you know, like the Boston's greatest hits and ACDC's Back in Black, and Steve Miller, uh, Greatest Hits, and uh, all that stuff that all the chicks loved and mm. you pretty much had to listen to if you <laughs> wanted to get laid. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it really gets into your system, and you start to love it. Yeah. And it's kind of more of a, about a, a party uh, good time, and you're a teenager, and you're a roaring hard on and you just want to <laughs> have a have a have fun and and uh you know all that stuff is so funny to look back on i mean you know if i hear amanda i will just melt wherever i am if i'm walking and someone's playing that song it just it just strikes me to the heart i mean i i dated and de-virginized a, a a girl named amanda yeah. who was absolutely beautiful and ended up dropping her to de-virginize her younger sister <laughs> and i was on top of the fucking world you yeah, know i was yeah. a teenager man i mean that <laughs> shit just gets in there and it's funny as hell you know to look back on that kind of stuff because it's rotten but mm. it's wonderful at the same time you know it's kind of like life experiences that you didn't you know it just happened that way and as much as i wish that I would have uh, taken my seven-inch Nazi punks fuck off mm -hmm. LP and kept in that vein and listened to more underground music. Yeah, you know, I bought that record at a local record store 
because it had a Nazi symbol on it and it said fuck. And yeah. I knew that those things were both very wrong and very crazy. And I was very attracted to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here I am spinning this vinyl and wearing the headband that comes with it, you know, which I still have. I actually had to uh, rebuy the LP because that thing long disappeared. But the Dead yeah. Kennedys, I mean, that song is so fucking strong mm. and it's bitching you know and i'll never forget that but that's like a secret thing that i couldn't tell anyone about because you know nobody even wants to know what the dead kennedys are nazi punks and what the hell are you talking about yeah, yeah. this is 1987 did you hear the the beastie boys album yeah yeah you know and license to ill i mean it's a it's a guilty pleasure mm. i saw run dmc beastie boys at the Miami Baseball Stadium, which has been destroyed, they yeah. tore it down 20 years ago. Uh, you know, I remember standing out in front, being there like six hours before the show, drinking Tall Boys. I, mean, I couldn't have been 15 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, it was my early when I just started to recognize alcohol and starting mm -hmm. to to actually get drunk. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, just having a beer buzz and them opening the gates and it's a baseball stadium so it was it was open seating mm. hundreds and thousands of kids running from <laughs> one end you know to the stage which was far out field you know everyone running to get to jockey for position across the entire baseball field I'll never forget that holding on to the fence <laughs> as close to front and center as I yeah. could possibly get white knuckled so that no one could take my position, yeah, you know, yeah. waiting for the Beastie Boys and Run DMC. I mean, that's one of the most amazing concerts I've ever seen because I was a boy and because mm -hmm. it was fresh and new and there are, you know, teenage girls everywhere and I was with my buddy and we probably weren't supposed to be there and, <laughs> you know, we were drinking alcohol, which was way not right. And fuck, man, that's, uh, that's insane. I became such a hardcore beastie fan that i'd seen every tour until obviously the last mm -hmm. it played a big part in uh you know the type of music that i've come to recognize as some of the best music ever played you know the beastie yeah. boys were three intelligent new york jews who knew what music was. Mm -hmm. And they took all this badass shit that people didn't even know what the hell to think of it and turned it into something different. Mm -hmm. But for them to recognize all this, all these sections of music and, and put it into their own little world and make music out of that, which is wrong and right. I mean, it's arguably either way. Well, but, they found their own path, and they did what they wanted to do, and they made a mark, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah, the amazing, amazing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. So let's fast forward. What did you study in college? I took some business courses. Okay. Uh, I started to get into kinesiology, uh, the study of human movement. Hmm. I wanted to be uh, in possibly sports medicine and business. Yeah. Um, but I was a mess, a mess, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, I uh, I was more of a social uh, animal than uh, a student. Yeah. 
And the only thing that really saved me and helped me get through was sports. I was an athlete. I started to uh, recognize my potential as an athlete once I, you know, became uh, a late teen and really start to grow into my body, which, which blew up. You know, imagine a 13-year-old kid with size 13 feet. You know, I was <laughs> retarded for a long time. Mm. But, uh, you know, by the time I was 18, 19, I really started to gain my full coordination and, mm. and recognized my, you know, my strength. And uh, I had a blast on the football field. You know, I, you know it was okay f- for you to be as powerful and, ag- as, and aggressive as a human being can be. And there's something very animalistic and and strange about you know wanting to to destroy <laughs> and uh you know it was as simple as that you really didn't have to think too much about it and i was always made fun of because not only was i uh the card you know the the the, the smart ass the the clown yeah, yeah um you know i didn't give a shit about the the game or the mm-hmm. rules <laughs> or the teams or the 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 professional athletes or the the bud light sponsorships or any you know i didn't know my head from my ass and i was made fun of mm. because i didn't you know all the years i'd played football and i still would make you know rookie mistakes because i wasn't even paying attention when they were telling me the rules of the game yeah. I, I was like, when's it my turn to crush that dude with the ball? Just stop talking and let me crush the dude with the ball. You know, like I always, that's always how it was for me. And so, you know, I just had so much fun with it. But, you know, I was always such a strong athlete that I got away with that. Mm. I could be the asshole, smart ass and make fun of everyone and and be a dickhead. And they would have to have me around. Because I was a necessary part of the team. <laughs> you know, the, by the time I was a senior in high school, I never left the field. Yeah. I was on every single team. I was <laughs> on every single team. I never left the field. Starting defense, starting offense, kickoff, punt yeah. return, punt, kick return, extra point. You know, every single team. And it's funny to even say that because I haven't spoken about this in a long time for me to even think of the teams that I was on. Mm-hmm. But that was, uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad we're talking about it because there is nothing more exciting than kickoff. Yeah. Every, every ounce of, of, of uh, adrenaline available is pulled to the forefront and you are tearing down the field while, you know, let's rewind sitting there waiting and it's like surreal you're mm-hmm. waiting for this whistle and you're waiting for the connection of the kicker's foot to the ball and that moment when you're just absolutely on fucking fire and he finally kicks it and it's time to go mm-hmm. i mean you're just 100 percent full bore as fast as you can get to that ball and crush the dude that's got it <laughs> It's it's so intense. Yeah, I can relate to that. I didn't play football uh, in high school, but I did wrestling, and so it's kind of the same thing. You're waiting for that whistle to go off. Absolutely, and, and, it's re- and re- wrestling is yeah. very very intense. Yeah. I did it in junior high, and it terrified me. In fact, I avoided it because it was too like <laughs> it was like one on one. It was way more about you know sports, and it was like no room for my smart ass yeah, yeah it was very very serious 
and I always respected the wrestlers because those guys are badass, you know. And uh, like I said, it kind of got me through a lot of things. I could have been in a lot more trouble. I was always, uh, a, you know, kind of a the the scapegoat, so to speak. I was always the guy doing something uh, that no one had ever thought of, some crazy shit, just pulling some kind mm. of prank, some kind of pushing the envelope kind of something, something, just to just because we could. Yeah. And sports kind of kept me from, you know, really getting too crazy to where we, you know, maybe even started to hurt people or the community or whatever. I mean, we did some stupid shit, but, you know, we never became uh, evil. Hard and criminals. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, yeah. it probably kept me from becoming uh, something that I shouldn't be, yeah. which is locked behind bars. <laughs> Now, did you play football in uh, college too? I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, it's funny because I I graduated high school and I thought that uh, I was just going to leave that all behind and become a full uh, blown student. I was just too young, you know. I'd gotten this idea that uh, that that's what was going to happen. But once I once I was out of my mother's care, so to speak, and they didn't have any room. In the dorms, they were they were over capacity, so I had to live off campus, and it was uh, unheard of for freshmen um, to live out of the dorms, and so it was even more freedom for me. Yeah, and I lived in a house uh, a couple of blocks away from campus, in the middle of every house party on the planet, yeah. and uh, you know I was just I was a mess. I was just partying every night of the week and barely making it to my classes i mean i barely <laughs> passed those things and yeah. uh if not for for football to at least give me some kind of uh direction some some kind of schedule you know mm -hmm. um he might not I, have gotten through it i though. might not have gotten through it well there's no way i would have gotten yeah, through yeah. it actually it was <laughs> it was a savior and it's too funny because i pretty much dropped all that after that era, my last years of caring about uh, sports were left in my 20s. Uh, the older I got, the less sense it made to me. Mm -hmm. And I always loved music so much that it wasn't really a sacrifice. It was only something I did because I was supposed to. I was big and strong. <laughs> and that's what big and strong people do is they love sports. Yeah. And, you know, it was so ingrained in me that it took me a long time to realize that it didn't mean all that much to me at all and now that i'm close to two decades away <laughs> from giving a shit about sports yeah, yeah. you know um uh, it's all the more funny because people <laughs> still make fun of me because i'm not a sports guy and uh you well, know it was he, funny well, er, well eric and i were talking and we were handing out some t-shirts the other night and he goes man i didn't realize how big cj really is he's like a linebacker and i'm like well now it makes sense yeah he was <laughs> yeah man i really did have a ball with it and uh if i was you know i don't know not to toot my own horn or anything but i walked on to the team i i, I lost the point of yeah. uh of that story i thought i was going to be a student so i walked into the coach's office once i realized i really wanted to play sports because it's just so much goddamn fun yeah, yeah. I walked, you know, I'm still 18 years old. I walk into the, to the, you know, to the athletic director's office and explain myself to him. And he mm -hmm. said, well, son, you know, maybe, you know, there's a place for you. We'll just have to see. Yeah. And so I basically talked my way into try, tryouts. 
you know, it was kind of a big deal because in college you actually have to take athletics um, as credits because mm-hmm. you're so uh, involved in the workings of the team that you can't take a full load of credits uh, academic-wise. So, you know, after a month of uh, just being in the best shape of my life, just as, as strong and as fast uh, as I could be, they were offering me a scholarship. No, that's great. <laughs> yeah, you know, I went from the guy who was like, I don't know if, you know, you can play this game yeah, to, yeah. you know, CJ, I need to see you in my office. We're really interested in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was too cool, man. It was actually felt really good. Yeah, yeah. You know, to be recognized mm-hmm. as a, as an athlete, not just some you know, you know, drunk fucking <laughs> troublemaker, which was back to my scapegoat. Yeah, I was yeah. always that guy. Like yeah. CJ made me do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, CJ was there. You should have seen what CJ was doing. And you're laughing because you see me do some idiotic stuff. And I consider myself to be a pretty bright guy, but I have my moments when I become a teenager once again and I am just a complete idiot. <laughs> it can be fun, though. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the whole point. Yeah. So after college, you're armed with some business skills. You were thinking of going into maybe sports medicine. What did you end up doing? Nothing of the yeah. of the sort. Yeah. <laughs> I uh I did some traveling. I started, you know, working seasonal jobs. I went to Maine and got a job at Sugarloaf USA, which is a ski resort. Yeah, okay. And worked uh that entire winter as a, a lift operator and uh you know, snowboarded seventy five days that winter and mm. that's only because I broke myself twice. I would have doubled those amount of days, <laughs> but I was, you know, I was in my 20s, I was young and yeah. fearless, and I had hucked myself off so many things and <laughs> had hit enough trees that I had broken some bones and yeah. and uh, had had to take, you know, six, eight weeks out. Oh, wow. So I would have easily doubled those <laughs> amount of days, but I don't regret that. Oh, that would um, have been a great experience. That yeah. is one of my most memorable experiences. Um, if I speak to a friend that I care about who I've come to know in their twenties, I tell them about that very season Mm -hmm. that while you are able and young, you need to do something, you know, out of the ordinary, something that you may not have thought about. I did this when I Mm -hmm. was your age and it's something that I think about all the time. Yeah. Go to a strange state get a job at a strange place and enjoy the fruits of the local labor, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, a kayak guide or a, a, a trail guide or a raft guide or a ski instructor or mm. a lift operator or, you know, you could even be uh, a maid, you know, who gives a shit? Yeah, just get out you know, of your element. Yeah, you, know? you could be a maid, but guess what? You get the ticket. You also get a pass. To yeah. the fun, which is the whole reason of being there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you may be the maid, but you get to ski a hundred times that winter, which yeah. is probably ten times more than the average person will do in their entire lives. Yeah, exactly. And you did it all in one season. <laughs> yeah. And you will never be a better skier mm-hmm. or snowboarder or whatever you do. You will never have more fun. You will never find yourself more than you will when you get that submerged yeah. 
uh, into something yeah. that special. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it was a lot about being in in New England and the fantastic microbreweries and the wonderful marijuana <laughs> and the the warm people and the the good food. Um, you know, there was the partying, of course. You know, you're in your twenties, but you know, there's something about being the first guy at the top of the mountain because that's your job. Mm-hmm. You know, taking the 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 crazy side lift that you know you have to be a certain level of of skier to even get to, getting to the top of that, and then having to hike up, you know, a few hundred feet vertical to open a gondola that can only be run from the peak there's no other way to get there (laughs) you have to hike up there with your gear to start the engines and prepare it for the day and you know it basically runs in reverse the motor is at the top Mm. and not at the bottom much like other lifts Mm -hmm. and it was a very very famous very old school gondola that is the highest Mm. in uh highest lift service operated in new england Mm -hmm. uh there's just something very special about taking that first couple of turns you know for a half a mile when no one has touched that snow and you're just alone floating on top of all this powder just feeling as good as you're ever going to feel it's it's just it's hard to even describe what it's like but it's very, very special and something that I kind of mentally float to when I'm having a hard time. It's your happy place. Yeah, it is my happy place. So uh, what other jobs and stuff did you do in college? Same old thing. You know, I I was uh, looking to have fun and and do some cool stuff. And uh, I went back to uh, the Florida Keys and uh, which, you know, I don't know if you know much about Florida, but it's got a pretty uh a pretty bad reputation the florida keys is like a whole nother planet that's what i've heard i've been to florida but not the keys yeah it's nothing like florida yeah it's like traveling back in time it's almost comparable to the baja if you're gonna do the west coast comparison you have california and then you have the baja which is baja california but if you travel down the baja it's much like California must have been a hundred years ago or more. It's very much like that in the Keys. It's just, it's not vast like the Baja because it's just a chain of, of islands or Keys, but it's like Island time. (laughs) It's very much, uh, very, very much more mellow, very simple. The East coast can be very intense and the Keys have a little bit of that intensity, but, nothing nothing like it it's totally different and it's all about good times um and that's the reputation that it has and i just had a ball you know i I worked at a restaurant there in the kitchen and uh, we just had so much fun it was kind of like a a pseudo hooters it was called jammers Jammers. and uh, we had the waitresses with the with the pantyhose and the little shorts and and uh my buddy and i uh the schnaz (laughs) <laughs> from Colorado uh, came out and he had a cousin of all things that was living in Isla Morada. So we had the excuse to go down there for a season and we spent 
the entire summer working in Isla Mirada and uh, Key Largo and just making the best of it. I mean, we <laughs> just had so much fun, man. I mean, I could tell you some stories. We we borrowed vehicles and went down to Key West and, you know, just tripping on acid and <laughs> driving 100 miles to Key West and drinking for 24 hours and waking up in, in lawns and on the beach. And, I mean, you know, stuff that that I can look back on and laugh that I lived through because there's mm-hmm. no way I could ever do that again, uh, mentally or physically yeah. for that matter. <laughs> but uh, it was fun because being in a resort scene means that it's everybody's vacation, but that's your every day. Mm-hmm. So you get the benefit of everyone being in a vacation mode every day, all day, and you may have to uh, cater to them to make money, but as soon as you clock out, you get to turn that off, and you're in the party. Yeah. <laughs> so unless you're clocked in, and depending on where you work, some places encourage you to also be part of the party when you're clocked in. You know, it's just one big party. It's really a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so Florida, what's next? Uh, the city of sin. Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> I took a job uh, from a family friend who had um, a uh, technical construction gig in Las Vegas. Per diem, room and board. We were paid well. Uh, we were installing surveillance equipment. Oh, okay. So uh, it was basically technical construction. And... Uh, even at my size, I was the attic rat because I'm, you know, pretty spry, especially in those days. I was 20-something. Um, I was the guy who had to get through the tiny hole <laughs> in the corner of the of the business, you know, and get mm-hmm. up into the attic and the roof with all the gear and the equipment and run all the cables mm. for the for the cameras and the alarm equipment and, you know, install stuff in 120 degrees and... God knows, you know, what kind of chemicals and asbestos and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be lucky to see 43. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in fine health as far as I know. Again, it was something that got me to live in Las Vegas. Yeah. This is long before uh, 9-11. Vegas was a very much still old school and crazy place at mm. that point. We, uh, oh, I just had a vision. In fact, it's funny. It was 9-11. Skateboarding naked across the Hoover Dam <laughs> at four in the morning. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, because in those days, it was the desert. Mm-hmm. There was nobody out there. Yeah. The night guard was a, taking a nap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nowadays you can't get anywhere near that place. Yeah. It's all full-fledged surveillance and cameras and infrared and you know it's hardcore you couldn't get on that bridge if you wanted to yeah yeah. uh in those days it was commercial trucking i mean i'm out there skateboarding in the middle of the night and you know some crazy trucker would be bombing in from arizona uh you know going way too fast shaking the bridge (laughs) it's like whoa (laughs) you know it's just funny because that kind of stuff like 
it's the kind of stuff you know my my brothers and my friends are going to tell my son when he grows up but <laughs> it's stuff that'll never happen again because it's not possible yeah it's a different, different Think, age. it's a different age things have been shut down mm-hmm. you know places that we used to freely climb and you know have a beer in one hand and just be on top of the world are now behind plexiglass and you have to pay to even get to the handrail in front of the plexiglass in in a number of places throughout the west one of my uh favorite pastimes to get away from the job so to speak was to uh poach rooftops at the casinos <laughs> on the strip mm-hmm. so my buddy big mike and i uh were there for uh eight months and after a couple three paychecks in a row of going to the strip gambling our week's money away and having not a penny to our names come sunday morning mm-hmm. yeah. we figured out that you know after a couple of weeks it was all good and fun you're basically you know betting the farm and losing it <laughs> so after we figured out that that you know wasn't it was no longer fun you know that that had wear it off we would ride our bicycles uh we always would drink and ride our bicycles it was just kind of a colorado thing i guess <laughs> we grew up doing that so yeah. it was like by the time i got to california people laughed at me for it but i mean i'd already been doing it for 15 uh-huh. years you know <laughs> uh we would ride down to the strip we were smoking a ton of marijuana in those days and we had the little bullets where you could basically uh pull into uh, a fake palm in a casino away from the cameras take a quick hit hold your breath hold the hold the pipe and no one knew you know hold it until you almost passed out so the smoke dissipated and walk right back into a crowd of people from texas you know and no one you know basically no one knows so that was our little routine i mean we just go down to the strip and people watch and poach rooftops Mm -hmm. the majority of rooftops in that era were if locked simply locked so you could pretty much get into uh the weird random uh far end fire uh escape route stairwell Mm -hmm. you know there might be a hundred of those and there's only four that you can gain roof access so it was kind of a challenge (laughs) to even find a way to even think about getting up there we would get all the way to the roof and if the door wasn't locked we would uh you know bugs bunny that son of a bitch (laughs) we'd just run through it and open the door whether the door liked it or not and there was really no cameras in those days and this is you know you're talking about a simple bolt lock i mean Mm -hmm. we weren't the 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 engineer would have to come back the next day and you know take 10 minutes and redo the lot (laughs) poor bastard but uh, we were long gone but anyway uh we would blow open these doors most the majority of the time uh eight out of ten it was open you just Mm -hmm. had to push the 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 fire push bar and we're standing on the roof you know hundreds of feet above the strip looking right down on the strip at all the old buildings that don't mm-hmm. even exist anymore mm-hmm. the stardust and the hacienda mm-hmm. and uh, the sands and you know all these crazy old school badass 
old old vegas yeah you know but we really got to see the end of the end and mm -hmm. uh i really look fondly on those memories as well because we made the best of it uh even though we were lowly construction workers we were living on top of the world you know we had poached all those buildings and seen things that a lot of people hadn't seen and obviously will never see again because if you go to vegas now and if you are lucky enough to find uh, a fire escape route you can't even get to the top floor because there's a you know steel bolted panel that won't even allow you to get to that mm -hmm. room where the other door that's got 17 locks on it is mm -hmm. um i mean we were up in uh, uh the luxor even with the, we got into those that forty-five degree angle stairwell and made it all the way up to the to the beam, and we were like hot from the heat of that thing. Yeah. I mean, we got that close. <laughs> wow! Um, you know, old Vegas was so cool. You know, so much crazy old history. And uh, when we weren't on rooftops, we were poaching uh, pools, pool decks, mm -hmm. and we were in every single tiki party pool deck on the strip you know we had our suits with us we're out there you know and here's the fun part vegas is still pretty much like this but we would have a jug of ernest and julio gallo <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know shabless <laughs> the chablis <laughs> you know we would just be you know hobo <laughs> drinking it off our shoulder yeah. you know passing it back and forth <laughs> from me and big mike just stoned as hell, just laughing till our cheeks hurt, you know, in the, in the pools with the bikinis, on the roofs, you know, just living it up, you know, not spent, you know, keeping our money so that we could survive through the week. You know, like I said, mm. we, we had learned that lesson hard <laughs> and uh, we stayed away from the gambling, no gambling. We yeah. went months and months and months without gambling a single penny because we knew better, better. Yeah. Um, and when we did gamble, we were very serious about it. Uh, we tried to remain semi-sober, and uh, craps was our game because it yeah. had the best odds. Mm -hmm. So we taught ourselves how to play craps the hard way, and uh, that's you know another thing I'm very grateful for because I don't like to gamble, but I do. I actually mm -hmm. love it, but it's something that I can step away from and not do for a couple of years. Yeah, and it's a special treat when I get to go to a casino and play craps because it reminds me of. Mm -hmm. being young and dumb and, and being on top of the world yeah man we had a ball in vegas what a great town what led you to leave vegas and move on to you know i it was just time to move on yeah. we actually had a falling out with the business uh they were uh not the best uh business owners very disorganized yeah. um it got to the point where it was hard for them to pay us and uh we had just kind of had enough and and uh, it was time to move on to the next thing uh, after Vegas, I had a short stint in uh, in Colorado back, uh, you know, moving back with mom to save money, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, I had an opportunity to come to uh, the Golden State of California. Yeah. And uh, that was October of 1998. And uh, I packed all of my belongings into my Toyota truck yep. and... Uh, drove out here from Colorado and you know here I am 15 years later where did you start out at San Diego, San Diego okay Mission Beach yeah fun times <laughs> I lived in uh the shadow of the roller coaster mm. 
and worked at the Coaster Saloon, lived in the alley behind it mm. uh, for five years and, mm. uh, you know, continued the party. You know, after a couple of years of paying my dues, uh, I was the head bartender and had the best shifts and was just on fire, man. You know, I was working three, maybe four nights a week at the most, sometimes two, mm -hmm. and uh, making great money. Uh, just in those days, it was kind of the end of of the hardcore bar days when uh, the ABC hadn't quite cracked down, when all the employees could be just as drunk yeah. as the patrons, if not more so. Mm -hmm. You know, one for you, one for me. And one for you means one for you and you and you. You know, there was a hundred mm -hmm. other people and it was just you who was getting yeah. the one. <laughs> it was insane. We could get away with it. And the thing is, at the end of the day, you know, we were counting thousands of dollars for the, for the house. The house was making tons of money. We were making tons of money. It's a it's an era gone by, mm. you know. Now everything is regulated. Uh, you know the the government expects their cut, and uh, things have changed. It's really been regulated quite a bit. You know, mm -hmm. the drinking is discouraged as an employee. You know, everything is accounted for, mm -hmm. and the businesses make less, and the employees make less. Mm -hmm. The government makes more. Yeah. You know, it's sad, but yeah. you know, I got to at least be just old enough yeah. to see the end of that rain. And it was insane. I mean, people will be telling those stories for the end of time. I mean, there's stuff that I I mean, I couldn't even try to tell you, you know, how legendary, <laughs> you know, Pacific Beach, Mission Beach, Ocean Beach, just insane times, you know. Every crazy bar story you've ever heard. I mean, that all that stuff was all on a weekly basis. What um, led you to come up to the Bay Area and specifically Pacifica and Winters after this time in San Diego? Well, that's the fun part of this story. My wife uh, is from Northern California. She grew up in Sonora. Uh, she was born in Livermore. Uh, she's got family in uh, Napa and uh, San Leandro. And her brother is in Hayward with his wife. Um, she's got cousins and stuff everywhere. So uh, my son is uh, 20 months old. And going back, um, you know, almost three years when I realized that I was going to become a father and kind of had to tighten up, so to speak, um, I have been living this playboy lifestyle and, you know, just having a, as much fun as a human being can have all of these years. And, uh, you know, felt like it was time for me to kind of make some better choices and, mm -hmm. uh, become more responsible and be a father to my son. We decided that it was high time to invest in a business. And it's always something I know I, I was going to do at some point. Yeah. But I had always kind of had it way on the back burner mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, I was just having too much fun to really think about getting too serious. Sure. 
you know, there's something very special about uh, sh showing up and clocking in and uh, having a ball and clocking out and taking all my cash and never think about that place again until I clocked in the next time, mm. which could be four days from then. Yeah. You know, you have your life and it's yours, you know. Um, I got away with that for a, a number of years and loved every minute of it. But once I, you know, learned that uh, I was going to be a father and it was time to kind of, you know, rethink my future, we, uh, we, we were trying to find a spot. And, uh, you know, I've been working in this industry since the beginning of time. My father had told me to never, ever go into this business. <laughs> you know, as a restaurateur, as a business owner, uh, as an entrepreneur, you know, his father had started the restaurant in the 30s. Mm -hmm. You know, he was in the restaurant business his whole life. Mm -hmm. And he pretty much told me that that wasn't the way to live life. And somehow, uh, you know, I tried to get away from it, but it just always drew me back because it was easy for me to get a job in any town. Yeah. Uh, anywhere at a moment's notice, you know, because I have valet parked, I have, uh, you know, washed dishes, I have been a prep cook, a sous chef, a cook, a line cook, a bartender, a bar back, a waiter, uh, you know, a receptionist, you know, I mean, you fucking name it, I've done it all. I could walk up and get a job if they tell me I have to wash dishes for to get my foot in the door, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Because six months later, I'll be, you know, head of security and have a bar shift. Yeah. You know, it's all about <laughs> getting in there. Mm -hmm. Once they realize you're not just some asshole and you know what you're doing and you start, you know, pointing out things that are going wrong, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can work your way up. So anyway, we had the idea of, you know, try to do something on our own. So we put all the feelers out there with our family, uh, you know, and as luck would have it, Winter's Tavern was on Craigslist. Oh, wow. <laughs> so my brother-in-law emails me this Craigslist ad mm -hmm. for a bar in the Bay Area, and I'm looking at it, and I'm laughing, going, Pacifica? Where the fuck is that? Because <laughs> yeah. I had been to uh, to San Francisco, you know, a couple of dozen times over the years. Yeah. Being a music guy, I've been up here for shows. Yeah. I mean, shit, man. I was a Primus fan from way back. I'd been up here to see Les play all kinds of times and all kinds of other stupid shit. What a great town. I love this mm -hmm. town. So, I don't know what the hell Pacifica is, but I'm going to find out. So, uh the one really cool thing about this industry is you get to know people and people are connected. So one of my realtor friends uh, did some inquiries and got some paperwork and made some calls. And uh, next thing I know, I have all the information on paper in front of me and it's not just an ad on Craigslist. It's yeah. now real. Here's what this is. This is what's involved. Blah, 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 blah. So this is going back a couple of years now. I packed up my battle wagon, mm -hmm. put my surfboard on the roof, put my Schwinn on the back 
packed up gear for a week, drove up the coast, mm-hmm. didn't say anything to anyone. I spent a week in Pacifica, uh, surfing every day, riding my bike around town, in and out of every coffee shop, every bar, every restaurant, yeah. asking questions, uh, finding out what's going on, feeling out the town. By the time uh, the week was up and my appointment with the previous owner uh, to see this bar mm-hmm. that I'd been spending the entire weekend, <laughs> you know, it was comedy because I was already a guy that everyone knew because I had been in here twice a day for the week. Yeah. You know, uh, just as that guy from San Diego. You mm-hmm. know? So uh, the owner just laughs, you know, because I show up for the appointment and he had already seen me yeah, yeah. a bunch. <laughs> he's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> it's you? You know, like he's expecting some asshole in a suit, yeah, you yeah. know, to show up with a briefcase and some lawyers. Yeah, yeah. And it's me in my shorts and a t-shirt, you know. Uh-huh. And he's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, man, you know, it's the type of guy I am. And it's the type of guy he was, mm-hmm. you know, he had worked his way from the bottom to the top and we had that in common. And that's really how it all got started. We had worked out a deal and, uh, negotiated, uh, you know, the transfer and, uh, you know, it took the better part of, uh, six months for us to really even think about whether or not he was even ready to sell. Okay. It was something that he had just kind of thrown out there to see if he was indeed ready to move on. So uh, we had came, come to some terms at the end of last summer, uh, 2012. And, uh, you know, he had made some promises. And, uh, you know, I basically took it on a gentleman's handshake that uh, we had a a permanent place here at the bar as far as shifts were concerned and that we were going to go through the motions of uh you know becoming the would-be owners yeah so you know i sold a bunch of stuff and uh i i like old things i have a ton of old things you know it's hard to get rid of stuff for me i have you know i had a dozen bicycles i had two dozen surfboards mm-hmm. i had uh six vehicles i had a uh, couple of motorcycles um you know every outdoor piece of equipment i'm a camper and a hiker and you know i mean i just had to really for the first time in 14 years of collecting all this cool shit toys i guess you would call it mm-hmm. i had to downsize get rid of gear take everything I own, sell some vehicles, give away a bunch of stuff, get everything I own, my wife and my son, who at this point was only a year old, not even, eight yeah. eight months old, and move 500 miles north. Mm-hmm. Quit my two wonderful jobs, you know, at killer jobs at badass venues in San Diego, uh, because... I had hopes of becoming a business owner. Yeah. Here we are over a year later, and the business is still in transfer. Oh. Uh, the ABC license is temporary, 
and uh, the escrow has yet to close. Wow, that's a long transition process. It is, but yeah. there was a lot of red tape, which I won't mm -hmm. go into. But when yeah. you're talking about government and liquor licenses and federal and state bureau of tax, mm -hmm. all these things are fucking heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not to be trifled with, and they don't take anything not seriously. Yeah. So uh, we've had a rough road, uh. and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, that's good. And it's it's you know it's all falling into place. Mm -hmm. You're waiting for all this stuff to close, escrow to close, and all that stuff at Winters. What what do we got going on at Winters? Talk about what you like about this place and and how you're making a difference here. Well, uh, first of all, this building is a hundred plus years old, and it's been moved physically several times. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I've been told recently. Uh, of course, there's lots of lore, but uh, at one point, this building sat down at Rockaway. Hmm. Uh, this is going back at least hmm. 80 years, yeah. if not more. I heard they moved it closer to where the pier would be. And then when they built the pier, and I believe the 20s, they moved it again to here, closer to what was the railroad tracks hmm. long before the one. This was a, ra a rail route. Awesome history, man. Just yeah. awesome history. Yeah. This place was here and a part of the local brothels, which are directly across the street. Hmm. Um, this is like prohibition era uh, stuff. I mean, we're talking as cool as it gets. Mm -hmm. This building was, was it, you know, this is where people were kind of sneaking away to get a drink, you know, as, as close as the red building where you had breakfast. Yeah. Salada. That's the oldest building around here. Uh, the castle above the hill, you know, like it's right there. Um, this Sharp Park has just an amazing history. And so I could feel that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a very uh, spiritualistic person, um, very in tune with the earth. And uh, as soon as I walked through the door that day when I drove my Subaru up here, I could feel it. Yeah. You know, I could feel the warmth. Mm -hmm. And I, by the time I walked across the room and bellied up to the bar, this place just spoke to me. I knew it. I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is my <laughs> spot. This is where I'm going to make my house. Yeah. And, you know, I got goosebumps just telling you that, man, because <laughs> it's just like, I embrace those kind of feelings. You know, I can feel this building talking to me and it wants to be more. It needs to be more. And that may sound crazy, but, you know, of all the things that have happened in this area, in this building specifically, it wants to be uh, a productive and exciting part of the scene. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just got that ingrained in the old wood, in the brick. You know, it's here, man. I mean, there is just some glow about this place mm -hmm. that's undeniable for myself and many others. And that's really what's cool is that people that love this area and love this bar, love this building and know decades of history and generations of people who drank here and enjoyed this place, they have all come to me and told me how wonderful they think I am for reestablishing a place that is welcome to everyone and a cool place to be. 
Yeah, now you also have a real connection with music. We've already been talking about this. Um, um, your tagline is kind of, uh, it's all about the music. Talk about the importance of that statement. Well, for me, it is all about the music. Music has always been something that has uh, been a part of my soul. It's moved me. It's guided me. It's uh, ingrained in me. You know, I had LPs in the 70s that I would listen to and destroy over and over and over again, you know, when I was in my single digits, you know. Yeah. Seven, eight, nine years old, I was listening to LPs, you know, whether it be Lionel Richie or uh, Kiss. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just whatever I happened to have. My stepdad was um, in radio advertising. And uh, he had, you know, free promo records. He worked at the radio station, you know, so I always had, I was privy to music. Not that that would really mean anything if you, you know, didn't love music. It's either in you or it isn't. Yeah, yeah. You know somebody who doesn't give a shit about music, you ask them a couple of questions and you, you just know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you either love it or you just think it's okay. It's just music is so powerful. It's been a part of, of human history from the earliest known history of man. Art on the walls of the cave. Yeah. You know, you can see people banging bones, mm -hmm. you know, on wood or, or, or something that they've fashioned to make noise. Like it's, it's just there. You know, it's always been there. So you wanted to integrate that with the bar. Yeah, I yeah. just feel that to drink and be merry means to enjoy music. It kind of keeps people um, grounded, you know. You know, music will tame the beast, and I believe that. You know, it. Here's here's an example. One of my old tricks for getting problematic people out of the bar in my security years, when people are beyond talking to when they yeah, will yeah. not listen and you either get physical with them and hurt them to get them out of the bar or you call the police to avoid either one of those things i used to uh do the the fake flute and start mm -hmm. to dance and play <laughs> the fake flute and mm -hmm. dance around in a circle <laughs> and the first time i tried it i was like i don't even know where i got this idea you know uh obviously the mice yeah, <laughs> but uh, it worked. You know, <laughs> the the guy that was refusing to even make eye co contact with me was now staring at me <laughs> longingly and not knowing where his mind was or what was going on. But he started to like pay attention to me, and yeah. I started to dance around him with the fake flute, going, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And it was like ridiculously silly, but <laughs> they would follow me out the yeah. door. <laughs> and you're like, problem solved. Yeah, problem solved. <laughs> and I did it and a couple no of times over the yeah. years. It was like amazing. Yeah. Uh, music is just one of those things. It'll change the mood. I just have always loved music. Yeah. And that that brings me to the to your question. It's just that I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, music touches everyone, whether they like it or not. Music, to me, is an easy way to have people get away from themselves and enjoy 
the space that they're in. Oh, definitely. Live music even more so because you're directly involved in someone's positive energy in their playing. Shit, man. I can't think of a better way to, to run a bar. The most fun I've ever had is working at music venues, mm -hmm. small independent music venues. Yeah. You know, I love that because it's a pure part of music. Mm -hmm. You know, it's beyond the evil corporate mm -hmm. grasp. You know, it's not driven by uh, the media. It's not driven by all these bullshit things that I could really do without in my life. Yeah, and so, I mean, your approach to music here, let's talk about that a little bit. What kind of bands are you looking for to, to play here? What, what is your approach to the live music scene here at Winners? Well, I kind of try to keep that open. Yeah. Um, what's been successful for me has been trying to keep things a little bit different, trying to be open to music that I may or may not be personally uh, into. Mm -hmm. um, it's very hard for me to book a sublime cover band. Yeah. It's painful, in fact. <laughs> I would much rather have the Melvins play here mm. once every day and twice on Sunday mm -hmm. before I ever booked another fucking cover band. Yeah. But that's me. You know, I can't uh, speak for everyone. I'm a very different person. Um, I've fought my entire life to, to think differently and to not be regular and normal. So it's hard for me to want to have a, a blues jam open mic thing, you know. I shouldn't even say that. Open mic is another thing. I would actually yeah. we're actually looking into finding the right host, and that can be very fun because oh, I do love yeah. singer songwriters very much. So a guy and his guitar, a girl and and her dulcimer, you know, yeah. whatever. It's it's heartfelt and real and beautiful when it's good. Uh, that I'm not against, but what I'm you know, it's just man, the same old fucking top hundred blues hits rock hits it's just so beat it's so bad yeah well and you don't do that here i mean you have from what i can tell a wide range of acts that come in and uh which is very refreshing and you can you can mix up the bands they don't all have to sound the same in one night I mean, that's kind of what people can expect when they come here, right? Absolutely. It's going to not, you're not going to have, it's not Friday metal night, you know, you know, you've right. got different things going on all the time. And that's, that's a good point. It, you know, I love metal. Yeah. But it's got to be good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you take uh, a genre that powerful and if it's not good, it's just wrong. It's so bad. It's beyond bad. Uh, the new school emo scream metal you know i mean how do people listen to that shit it's unfucking real it's awful you well, know i was talking to kurt vanderhoof from metal church and he was like yeah it just it's like cookie monster now wants to sing you know you might have some nice musicianship over the top and you've just destroyed it with cookie monster screaming over the top of it yeah know? that's a that's a beautiful analogy <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just like things that should have never been mixed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the mainstream metal is just gone to a point that's unlistenably bad. Mm-hmm. So when you say metal now, you have to know what kind of metal you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm all about it. You know, if we get a badass metal band in here on uh, a Thursday or whatever, and then, you know, a, a hipster band on Friday, like, who cares? If yeah. it's good, it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, good music is good. You you may think you hate hipsters, yeah. but you see one of their bands and those cats can play and they write their own music and it's like seeping into your shit when you see it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't deny it. It's good. Yeah. When and, it's good, it's good. And you've got like a pretty loyal crowd that comes here, uh, you know, that I've seen and they seem to enjoy whatever is going on, you know, at the time. It's, so it's, it's really neat. Let's talk about some other stuff that you maybe, what should people know about winners? What do you want to talk about and let people know about this place? I just want people to know that they can come here and have a good time. Yeah. You know, that's pretty much what we're about in a roundabout sort of. And you feature, uh, talk about the bar a little bit and, and the staff. So you've, you've got a lot of micro brews. You've got your Paps Blue Ribbon. You've got hard alcohol. Any, any favorites of yours? Right now, my absolute favorite on draft is uh, Speakeasy Scarface, mm. which is a imperial stout. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, very high alcohol, very... Uh, flavor filled beer it's uh it's a big beer it's wonderful it's got all kinds of flavors to it i mean you can sit there take a sip and just think about the crazy things that are in it yeah. <laughs> um beer is kind of a passion of mine i grew up mm-hmm. in colorado uh you know long before the micro term ever really kind of came to be it was mm-hmm. just good beer so i've always loved beer and that's the first thing i changed was all the mainstream uh beers mm-hmm. they got you know, I mean, I was just a hellion to uh, the local vendors. I mean, they all <laughs> they all came screaming, why? Why are you dropping this? Why are you dropping that? I mean, yeah. I dri- dropped, you know, 14 of 16 taps in the first month. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> all local, you know, if not local, Oregon. Yeah. You know, Arizona, Colorado, uh, New England. You know, all these wonderful breweries that I've loved over the years who are kicking ass um, are now on tap here. Uh, I try to keep it mixed and matched. You know, I got a weird porter. I got an odd uh, Belgian, you know, aged with cherries. Um, we got a real Hef, you know, real Hefeweizen from Germany. Yeah. Franzis Connor. It's wonderful beer. You know, I'm replacing all of these mainstream marketed bullshit beers with the real deal. And people may hate it at the beginning until they try it. And then they realize wow this is amazing yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing it's because that's what it's supposed to taste like Mm -hmm. so now we have all these wonderful local products and i've done the same also with liquor Mm -hmm. you know we have a lot of you know crafted uh spirits Mm -hmm. you know locally california got a bunch of them you know we expanded uh all the choices we have you know, many different styles of just about every kind of liquor that you would want. Got rid of, you know, a lot of the regular mainstream stuff. 
that's all basically a commercial in a bottle and went with true spirits, true liquor, you know, true beer. Uh, You know, we may keep the PBR because that's part of our history and it's the cheapest beer in the house. It's Mm -hmm. the best deal. Yeah. Two... 25 for 16 ounces of beer mm-hmm. you're not going to beat that and i'm not going to change that that's one mm-hmm. of the two taps i did not change yeah. because of that you know it's pbr it's not a bad beer it's not a good beer <laughs> but it's not bad and i'll drink the hell out of it i'll drink mm-hmm. 20 of those suckers and feel like a million bucks yeah. you know um what we're just trying to do here is make a real tavern this mm-hmm. is an old school tavern i want to stay old school I took all the, the you know, made in China neons and the, the <laughs> sports mm-hmm. crap and all the freebie bullshit that's plastered all the walls, took all that down and, you know, now it's, you know, back to the old school. I'm not catering to anyone in particular. I'm trying to cater to everyone yeah. so that we can all have a nice time and all enjoy ourselves. The music is just a bonus. Mm-hmm. It's helped me kind of speak to people because I love music and most of most other people love music as well. If I give people the opportunity to come and play here, then everyone who's playing is having a nice time translates to everyone in the room is having a nice time. Yeah, definitely. You know, infectiously, it just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, just it just works that way. Where can we go to learn more about Winter's Tavern? I know you got uh, the website, winterstavern.com, and you're on Facebook, Winter's Tavern. Anything else? Well, check you, out? Uh, you know, we're, I'm kind of new to social media. Uh, you know, I just got into it this year for booking reasons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I have my feelings about that. We won't go into that. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we're trying to get it all. We're, we're working. We have an Instagram. We have a Twitter um, yeah, so we're trying to keep our uh, website as current as possible. We use the Google Calendar so people can see uh, when our events are and also gives the bands an opportunity to choose a date and we can uh, match our calendars so that we can you know, get more bands. Well, cool. Any, any last thoughts, CJ? Come on down to Winners. I'll I'll pour you a cold beer. Sweet. I like that. I like the sound of that. Cheers, everybody. All right. Thanks, CJ, so much for being part of the program. Very, uh, very glad to be here. I appreciate it. Thanks again to CJ and Winners Tavern. Make sure you go down and check it out. We're going to leave you with a local Winners Tavern favorite, Gunpowder, with their song, Dynamite Tears. Fine tears of dynamite Blessing away in a dance foundation One little lie Plug and crash and town floods Washing away Rides eroded Tops are removed Never recovered us riding in the town Not on white horses or mythic steeds When a was at four
Mississippi blast and past old fatal swells. Berlin, fast and high, crying on dynamite tears. Blasting out into marvelous shattering capitals, glass foundation. We fight, finding refuge in dynamite tears blasting Going back to the good old days of dynamite Back in time, they were finding the streets Bloody tired, weary, worn witnesses watching Can't hide from the bully's fist Business can't hide in the public side Remembering, reminding 